Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. If country borders and grids can fascinate you and state names intrigue you, if atlases, globes, city plans, subway maps, and of course, world maps are your thing, if you can name the capital city of Namibia, and if you get giddy about flags, you are in the right place. This is Map Corner, a podcast about the love of maps brought to you by Royfield Brown and Claire Asprey. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Map Corner. I'm Royful Brown, who is in the UK. Say where it says here. I'm in Birmingham <laughs> and I've completely neglected to do my coordinates. If you're bothered, you can be fussed. You can go on to a, a search engine of your choice, type in what are the coordinates of Birmingham and it will tell you. But it's somewhat in the kind of in the middle of England. Um, so, uh, but with me is uh, the wonderful luminous she does she look lovely today if you're watching on zoom she's radiant it's claire asprey claire i say every month where are you today and every month i say i'm at 52.1 degrees north and 0.5 degrees east and i'm in bedfordshire in the uk uh map corner is a podcast dedicated to the love of maps and to all things cartophilic which is not actually a word but it should be so if peter's is your projection you're in the right place and in this episode, we are delighted to welcome back international social media map supremo and friend of the show, Simon Christemacher. <laughs> Thanks for having me again. Listen, we can't keep you off, right, by popular demand. And also, I believe you have very good reason to be with us today, which you'll tell us all about in a little bit. We have an audio postcard from our Nick Roworth, who I've just discovered just before we start the show, is a yoga teacher. This man... I reckon he's also part-time works for the CIA or something. Or Nick does everything. Uh, now, folks, don't forget to review us on Apple iTunes because I should call it, give it its proper title, Apple Podcast. It hasn't been called iTunes uh, for, for podcasts for quite some time because uh, the more reviews we get, it means that we got those podcast charts and it means that more people get to know about the podcast. So please give us a review. That would be awesome. Again, we're joined by some of our uh, Map Corner listeners, and it's great that we're doing a slightly different time slot this time. So we're able to be joined by our Antipodean listeners. So if you want to join in Zoom with our next recording, then get into the Facebook group and you'll see the links posted there. Or if you're not on Facebook and you want to know the links, then just drop us a line via the website or on Twitter. We record every first Sunday of the month. Generally, it's at 6 p.m. UK time which is 1 p.m. Eastern, which is 10 a.m. Pacific. But as Claire said, uh, because we have the wonderful, the important, uh, the, the now published in book form, Simon Kersemacher with us, and he's in Oz, uh, we had to move the slot. Simon, welcome back to the show. 
how have things been in the last, what, two plus years since you very first came on? Yeah, I think uh, obviously a tiny bit of a global pandemic happened. Uh, so like everyone else, very little travel. You get to know uh, since I've been long living in, in Melbourne, in Australia, which uh, has won the title of the most locked down city in the world. So no other city has been in a lockdown for longer than we guys here. So that's a nice little um, you know, Great prize accolade. to take home. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> we put this on the town signs and postcards, I guess. You don't have to um, take it home. You can't go anywhere else. It, that's right. <laughs> and so we really got to get to know our local uh, neighborhood really well. But that said, like the whole world, we, of course, switched to Zoom and I did lots of presentations on my uh, demographic research uh, stuff online all the time, which is good fun. Um, and by now that Australia is finally open again, and I have work, travel, things lined up. I'm a bit freaked out by the idea of leaving the house for work. <laughs> but uh, it's now back uh, back on the cards. Are you kind of freaked out about leaving the house because there's a, a young Kirsten Macker now? Uh, I, I guess uh, that's the sad part about it. Is usually when I do a presentation, it really takes an hour if I do an hour's worth of presentation. But now I have to travel throughout the country for an hour's worth of presentation. And so I miss time with my one and a half year old, uh, which is just uh, a shame because in the whole working from home environment, you can completely maximize family time. Since I don't, I don't commute, um, you know, I get to chat with a little fella uh, a lot, which is good fun. And for example, our company completely killed the office. That's always, you know, people discuss in Australia an awful lot. When should people go back to the office? We don't. We said we'll meet once a month in a cafe. <laughs> that's our uh, that's our policy, which we can do as a five you know five headed uh, global powerhouse of demographic research. And I hope you're starting uh, young Kirsten Macca on maps at a very early age. For forget letters, maps. Starting with maps, Simon. Please tell us that um, you start as you mean to go on with raising your little son. Um, I'm trying to see. I think it's downstairs. I did, of course, buy a book called Map Projections for Babies. Uh, that was <laughs> I, I yeah, could I could that one on the show. <laughs> yeah, I, I could I could resist. I, I saw it online and I I had to buy it right away. Uh, and silly me, I only bought one copy. So so he has the copy now. I <laughs> know <laughs> uh, you've got your own book out uh, now, which I am lucky to have a copy of, uh, and it's a very beautiful thing itself. It's called Random Maps, the world in over 100 unusual maps. And I mean, you are posting interesting maps multiple times a day. So my first question is, how on earth did you whittle it down to the ones that you picked for the yeah. book? Yeah, so for the last five years, I've been posting about seven or eight maps per day. You can do the maths, never miss the day. That's many, many thousands of maps. I, I, I can't count that much. And so that was quite the uh, quite the task to, to pick the favorites. At first, you know, I got, went through this event like, okay, what were my favorite maps? And then you realize, okay, so I did really enjoy a lot of animated stuff, which of course isn't uh, suited for a book. And then some of the maps, it's a bit tricky to get a copyright for. And then some of the maps were a bit too obscene to be put into a book. So, so there are a couple of easy ways to, to, to weed out. And then it's a matter of getting the rights. And so I did collect, I think, about 300 maps were in the pre-selection. And then we worked with the publisher just asking uh, 
all the nice cartographers for the for the rights and we then yeah picked the top 110 or thereabouts for the book and so it was nice to get a bit of an insight into the wonderful world of of book publishing and yeah just really enjoyed uh, the journey it's all on top of the the you know full family and work schedule so it was it was an additional challenge but it was was good fun and the book was originally published in german and in germany if you want to do anything and make it sound cool you give it an english name so the german version was called mad maps why ever also authors don't tend to pick the um the headlines in newspapers or the titles of books unless they are really famous which i'm not uh, and then of course i think we ran through five or six titles um that were all copyrighted already for the english version and then we picked uh, random maps after we kind of said what do you actually do and i said ah well i just select random maps simply based on the fact that i find them fascinating and interesting and i don't follow any political agenda or any kind of like specific corner that i go into with the maps that i share online i just want to find them interesting and i want to go like ah isn't that interesting that's kind of what i do and it is very random and selective and a bit quirky and yeah so i'm i'm actually quite happy with the title even though it might seem a bit random so to speak <laughs> no 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 simon right and this is a family podcast right but um <laughs> I, I'm, i'm quite interested in the obscene maps uh so uh, d- just give us just a broad brushstrokes of the type of uh, naughty oh, maps they're, they're, which, they're which lots of in. exactly so there are lots of uh maps that just talk about swear words across the world and so it's say yeah let's let's keep this let's keep this safe and family friendly i'm of course not uh, there are a couple of bizarre there were more charts rather than maps that just showed whenever there is um uh, whenever there's a facebook outage uh in the in the world the porn usage goes up So it's really uh, Facebook might be annoying for all kind of things, but it keeps you from her looking at porn. So it's stuff, it's stuff like this. Uh, that's just funny, quirky, bizarre insights. I don't think they're good for anything. I don't think they really make you understand the deep human soul of, of, of humanity, but it's just a bit of fun. And actually, I really, really like how you got to go a bit map adjacent when you, you do retweet and, and reshare quite a lot of things that are kind of infographics or charts, not uh, ex- specifically maps. So have you got a book coming out about infographics and charts or is that <laughs> back on the back burner? Um, I, I do work on a, on, on another book. I'm not a, this, is, this is all, we're all friends here, um, on a children's book. Uh, not not about map projections, but there is a children's mappy book coming that I'm involved in. Um, so that's fun, just a fun little side project once again. Um, yeah, so so that is happening in the background. That will still be a year uh, away, I guess. But then we can have the kids' version of this podcast again. <laughs> so you've been um, like a bit of a magpie on social media for for years that's the reason why uh you were our very first guest um because you're known on twitter and on facebook for um linking to great and interesting maps was it always your idea actually to eventually publish a book or is this something which has come along as a great idea as your uh reputation has been burnished online uh i didn't think of a book 
just a, a publisher called me and said, do you want to do a book? And the reason, and it was the second publisher that asked, uh, where I said, yes, the first was like, oh, no, it's too much work. I don't think there's, uh, because... <laughs> there isn't too much money in, in publishing. So you don't do this for the, for the money to, to be quite, uh, quite frank. And so the first publisher I said no to, but the second publisher was from my hometown of Munich. So I kind of thought that's nice. We uh, see this is absolutely not a financial or even an intellectual decision to do this. I just kind of thought the idea is nice that when I'm in Munich uh, visiting my parents, that I can go visit my publisher. I kind of thought that it was a nice <laughs> thing to have. Run us through maybe like three maps, which you think kind of are emblematic of the book, you know, in terms of kind of their range, what they talk about, etc. And this is the fa this favorite bit of uh, Map Corner for me, because I always love people on an audio podcast talking about something which is inherently... Talking about a visual... There are two maps that immediately come to mind. The first one is a 1914 map of London, or of the whole world, and it shows the travel time from London to all over the world, which I immensely enjoyed. And you just see that, you know, within five days, you're, you reach almost every corner of Europe. Listen up, guys. Five this might come up in the quiz. <laughs> yeah, so that is that is 100, 100 odd years ago. Five days got you into most parts of Europe. So that's that's somewhat interesting. If you then go from London to Australia, it's definitely over 40 days. So that's just the order of magnitude that you traveled then. And then um, a company called uh, Rome to Rio, who are also based in Melbourne, or of all places where I'm based, um, they did a updated version of this for 2016, which uh, in a very cute way, um, you know, reimagined the vintage uh, style of the of the of the map, and then updated it with today's travel times. And of course, most travel times here rely on super fast rail connections, if it's more locally, and on airplanes that weren't around in, in 1914. And all of a sudden, you see that the most unreachable corners of the globe can be reached within 36 hours. So within less than two days, you can be teleporting yourself if you will to anywhere in the world and i think this is just such a wonderful way of remembering how the world has changed just for the better if i am traveling from australia to my parents in germany i'm very glad that i can do this in under 40 hours rather than in just under 40 days so that would be the first map that comes to mind since i really really enjoyed this and it's just a cute way of modern cartographers looking at the at, a, at an old map through a new lens that is rather original so so i do really like that i then think i would have also to mention um a map about wolves that's in there it just shows the gps tracks gps tracked data of i think nine wolves uh, in in a national park and the beautiful thing is that they don't um intersect at all wolves really um, respect each other's um, territories. And I never, you hear these kind of things and you don't know what that means. I don't know stuff about wolves. And so you see this in a map, you go, that's actually what territories mean. They sniff out each other's uh, territory and they respect it. I think that's absolutely fascinating. And if you know my, uh, my tweets, you know that I'm absolutely obsessed with GPS tracked uh, animals. 
It's just such a beautiful uh, thing that we have these kind of data sets. Before, um, uh, you know, a couple of less than 100 years or more, than just probably 200 years ago, you didn't even know that animals, that birds migrated. It's, it's that old famous story where there were, there were stories just floating around that birds over winter, they transform into other animals or they were just hiding somewhere out of plain sight. And it was just unsure what happened. And then more and more um, people discovered what they called uh, arrow stalks. So these were stalks that traveled from Europe down to Africa. And some of them were shot with, with arrows and they just survived. So they just had a arrow stuck in them. And uh, when the Europeans then discovered those animals and they actually tested and had, you know, the, the, the wise professors um, analyze the uh, the arrows. They 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 understood that these were African arrows, and that really helped um, scientists to understand bird migration was a thing. I think that's just a cute, wonderful story that is now we can we can GPS take the smallest of birds and we can see the exact um, migration behavior. It's it's easy. It's wonderful. It's good fun to to look at. There are wonderful websites that allow you to look uh, at, at at bird migrations. It's, it's great. But before that, when speculation rules supreme, you come up with weird uh, sounding narratives to fill the gaps. But that's what we do. When we don't know what's happening, we fill the gaps with whatever we come up with. And it sounds ridiculous from the standpoint of knowledge. And, you know, to draw the arc uh, back to, to modern day times, we see this in, in a pandemic where there's so much hearsay about things and uh, the... The unknown is always filled. The unknown is never left uh, empty. We don't leave empty spaces. We try to fill it and that's, that creates error. It would be much more honest to fill those spaces with a big sign that says the unknown, which brings me to the third map, Royfield, that I would like to mention. It is a map that shows, so it's an atlas from, I think, memory 1830 or thereabouts. So 200 years old, and it shows how much Europeans knew about the world at different stages. There are about 60 or pages or thereabouts. It's crazy big. And you can look at it online for free on the Ramsey uh, uh, Map Center. Um, so, and the map shows this part of, Euro uh, of, of Europe that was, uh, and the Middle East, that was known to the locals at the time. And the rest of the world is, is clouded in, in some sort of like uh, the fog of war style um, drawing. It looks, it looks marvelous. And you, uh, you know, I, I'm amazed by this because the cartographer was bold enough to show the unknown, to actually emphasize the unknown in each of those maps. And it gives you a great sense of, okay, this, there was a limited worldview at the time. But whatever is visible on the map, that is the, the whole world for them. Therefore, America was the new world when it was finally discovered from a European perspective. And I find that just fascinating to see how much your worldview quite literally must have shifted once you are being told that your map needs to be updated, that you actually need to draw not a small, tiny island somewhere, but you th uh, throw a whole new continent into the mix find this mm -hmm. endlessly uh, wonderful to think about there's um it, the, the one of the books which really uh, stayed with me in my kind of like mid and, and late childhood is a thing called muir's historical atlas 
and it's the geopolitical uh, changing of borders all throughout human history. Yeah. And one of the little things which goes alongside all the political maps is actually our understanding of what the world looked like at that time. Obviously, from a Eurocentric point of view. So you got like Ptolemy's map of Europe, yeah. uh, which is in some bits is surprisingly accurate. Uh, like Italy looks like Italy, you know, um, Spain looks like Spain or, or you know, the Iberian Peninsula, I should say. And then in, in the Middle Ages, and it, it, it just atomizes and it's weird and people just make things up. And, and then from like the 1500s, it gets more accurate again and again. And I, I, yeah. I, I, I as a little kid, I used to go backwards and forwards look, looking at those sections of, of that book. However, right now, uh, Simon, we're on a s- strict schedule today, right? Because we've ob- very obviously you take pride of place, sir, has been our very first map uh, corner uh, interviewee. But we have somebody else at, at six o'clock, and there's uh, and so basically what it means is right. I'm running this on rails today, and uh, this is an apt little metaphor for me to say Nick Roworth. Now we Nick Roworth did such an epic audio postcard that we had to divide it into two. And here we have part two of Nick Roworth's wonderful audio postcard. Uh, but if you are watching on Zoom, um, of course it's a video postcard about his hometown of Bookham. Although I was born in Manchester, I was age seven, I moved to Bookham in the Surrey Stockbroker Belt. Expansion which now goes all the way to the common, stopped after it was declared green belt. So all later developments were made from either demolishing big houses or infilling in the large gardens they had. The house I grew up in was one of three houses built in the garden of the neighbours. Although these days, you would probably fit about 20 into this space. And his garden was so big at the time that his deeds still have in them that he's not allowed to hold a funfair in it. And our back garden had really nice grass. It was a part of the tennis court of the house. It also had nut trees and fruit trees. These days, the most notable part of the village is at the crossroads, as it has a square about. And yes, this does have its own Facebook page. This is a raised area of block paving at which nobody has a right of way. And when they get to it, nobody knows what to do with. My motto is always, he who hesitates is lost. Just wait and take your chance there. Village has five pubs. Would have had more, but Mrs. Christie, a rich woman who owned a lot of Bookham, was into temperance and kept buying them up and closing them down. In fact, there would have been one at the end of my road called the Fox and Grapes, but she bought that and closed it down. And this became the Little Bookham Village Hall when she donated it to the community. She also built some temperance hotels with large tea rooms. One of these, the Marylands Hotel, was opposite the station and she would pay for the poor of the East End of London to come by down by train and have tea there. One of Jane Austen's cousins, the Cooks, was a rector at the church so she visited Bookham quite often and wrote some of her books here. If you look at her letters though, it sounds like she didn't like visiting her cousins very much. And apparently one of the servants was allegedly named Elizabeth Bennet. So I think a lot of the characters and settings may be based in Bookham. 
you're ever in the area, it's worth a visit to the church, to wander over the common, or just wonder at the stupidity of putting a square about at the, the crossroads. Failing that, you could always just look at it on a map. And whatever I live, wherever I go, Bookham will always be my home. There you go. Nick Roworth, take a bow, sir. Epic. Lovely. Well done, sir. Well done, sir. I've never heard of a square about before, Nick. I Is think it... it's one of the only ones. <laughs> and, and, and what was the reason for the square about? What is it supposed to do? Do we know? I have no idea. <laughs> I, th I think it's the idea is to slow traffic down. I mean, it used to be because the, the, the road that goes across is the lower road, which is one of the major roads. That's the sort of main road. But I think it's just to stop traffic whizzing along and just through. But as I say, people get there. They have no clue what to do there. No one has the right way. And if you're on your bike, the, the thing gets wet and you slide off. It's it's just a total nightmare. And people often put things like on, on April Fool's Day, they'll put yellow, double yellow lines around it to say, you know, you can't park on it anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I've, well, I've learned something um, by... Uh, by editing uh, your, your wonderful audio postcard, sir, that there is even a thing called a square about. Uh, that news to me. But as a traffic calming measure, um, it's uh, rather successful. Yeah. And, even in, and even in the little video, you saw the car go there and kind of pause, not knowing exactly what to do. So, so, so thank you. Uh, and of course, um, Nick won the opportunity uh, to show us his hometown, his home village, because he won uh, the quiz. And the quiz will be coming up later. And what we do is whenever you win the quiz, you have the opportunity, the accolade, uh, the props uh, to be the uh, person who does the audio postcard on the next month's uh, map corner. Uh, but we need to go back to you, Mr. Kirsten Macker, uh, because you're here illuminating us with your presence, but also with your book. New York Times bestseller 2022 random maps. What do you reckon? <laughs> Uh, I, I don't think so. I think this is the, uh, it's a, I think it's a beautiful gift. Uh, so I'm hoping that, you know, it will make uh, its way to the shops uh, before Christmas. And it's a nice uh, gift to give to, you know, people that really just enjoy a bit of a random insight into a map. It doesn't need to be read as a whole, which helps, you know, if you live in a uh, rowdy, uh, raucous household, um, it's good to just, you know, look at a map or two here and there and don't, I write a little text for each map, but it's really just to give a, a tiny bit of context. I think you can just uh, do this whole book visually if you wanted to. Fantastic. Uh, oh, and also what I did, what I did forget to say, uh, good people, is now is the time for you. If your name is Andrew Cooper, Brett uh, Watkins, Nick Roworth or Sarah Spilsbury, uh, to unmute yourself, unburden yourself, unshackle yourself from silence and actually throw a question at uh, Mr. Kirsten Macker. And, and maybe maybe what you want to do is ask him for a signed copy of his book for Christmas. <laughs> uh, that would be something that would be worth a lot of money uh, some, sometime soon. Uh, but uh, but in, in the back channel, in the chat, Nick Roworth says, the my Christmas present sorted, right? <laughs> and uh, then Brett has also agreed. He says, yes, mine too. So there you go. Here's two sales of, of, of your book. So, you know, when get a book published and your name's on it, and I, I applaud your honesty of saying, you know, when I go home to Munich, I want to say to mum and dad, I'm just going to nip out and meet my, my publisher. Because yeah, it's, not, it's not an everyday kind of, kind of uh, conversation. Are you like 
like nervously looking at um, how the book is kind of doing and stuff. Do you just go, oh my goodness, you know, we've done another hundred sales in Germany. That's good. That's bad. Uh, you know, are you sweating? I don't yeah. know. How's it work? No. So with the German version, I just get an update every half a year of how many copies are being sold. And then they send a little, little check and that's, that's all nice. And it's, 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 it's a nice, it's, it's still it feels like in checks. They're still doing no. Oh, oh absolutely, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Figuratively speaking, I get, I get a, I get a super cool email zoomed to me. Um, uh-huh. So that's, that's all, all very easy. But I guess the most interesting fact that I learned about maps in the process is that my publisher said, ah, oh, yeah, Usually we print our books in, in China. They just produce the cheapest uh, printing. So most printing these days is done in China, uh, unless books mention Tiananmen Square or unless you have a quote of the Dalai Lama in there, you talk about Tibet, then China isn't really keen on publishing those books. They really put pressure on the uh, on the printers over there to not publish those books. Ah, yeah. And of course, any book with a map in it will not be printed in China because they um, insist that the map uh, meets certain aesthetic <laughs> geopolitical guidelines. And that is not a given in, in my book, so to speak. So therefore, this book was printed in Dubai. This is the, um, you know, it's probably not as cheap, I guess, than printing in, in China, but that's what you do when you uh, are at the mercy of a all-powerful government in, in China. Wow, that's interesting. The one thing which we, we've never really talked about on Map Corner is the perception of the world mapping-wise from other countries, from the perspective of, of other countries. You know, because we all know that... Uh, the United Kingdom is the center of the world. Everybody knows that. Greenwich Meridian, right? So, exactly. you know, you, op- you open up a- a- an atlas um, if you're British and the first thing you'll see is Britain and then it's Greenwich Meridian and then everything else spreads out from that. Yeah. You know, that's wild countries like Australia go to. You, you, you know, you're going to open up an atlas. It's going to start with Australia. What kind of craziness is that? There's actually a really beautiful map in the book, which is the world from the dolphin's point of view. Um, which is very ocean-centric and also south at the top. Um, and, you know, it's just, I, I really love it because, I mean, apart from the fact it's very pretty because it's a lovely colour, but um, it, it's, it does force you to think about the world in a completely different way. And I think that's one of the great things when you look at maps is yeah. to, look at, to look at maps from a different perspective. Wonderful example, Claire. I wanted to actually quote just that map because it's such a fun, lighthearted, quirky approach to look at the world from a different perspective. We've all seen upside down maps uh, where, where, you know, that are facing south rather than north. And uh, you need to orient yourself uh, at first. Or you, if you've seen a, a different projection, you need to quickly orient yourself and, and so on. But the, the dolphin map is... Uh, it's just a joke. Uh, how would a dolphin cartographer draw a world map? And so, of course, they are concerned about the uh, bathymetry, or however you pronounce this in, in English, um, of, of the ocean. So that's in there. But they look at the world from upside down because they're in the water looking up. So you have to flip it and it's mirrored as well. So it's a very confusing uh, visual when you open the, the page. And then you know, describing the, the steps that... Uh, the, the the dolphin would go through to, to create this map. It's done by a lovely Dutch fella. It's just a delightful 
quirkiness to be to be dealing with and to really challenge your own perspective and you've seen this uh, you probably have done this by mistake if you open up google maps and you played around with it and you you accidentally moved it around and you look at the neck of the woods that you actually know really well but from a different angle you do get confused for a bit you do need to orient yourself uh, again and that's that's what this is for just looking at the just turning a globe to the you know what we call the water hemisphere uh, where you just see the most water that's where point nemo is the most um you know, remote uh, point in the ocean where they shoot the spacecrafts, uh, the, the unused spacecrafts or, or the mere, mere satellite uh, space station into their, that corner of the globe. It's good to actually think about this from a different angle. A, a Pacific-centered world map has always been, or first came to my attention when I looked at uh, um, earthquakes, uh, all the earthquakes, of course, happen at the around the Ring of Fire, the the Pacific Rim, and that's just you don't look at this. Or I don't look at the world this way. And uh, Simon Winchester wrote a wonderful book about uh, the Pacific. Also wrote a wonderful book about the Atlantic. But it's just the idea of actually viewing the Pacific at the center of the world then allows you to draw the connection between uh, Japan and the American West Coast, which if you look at the stock standard world map is very far from each other. And so you don't think about them, but of course there is a direct link. And of course there is a certain Pacificness to all the places that share access to the Pacific, which is with the stock standard maps that we look at uh, that are centered somewhere around Europe um, a bit. Yeah. You forget about this. No, uh, absolutely. And we all have that biases, don't we, of uh, wherever we are in the world, that that, uh, for a very understandable reason, is the way that we then see the world, because that is our centre, you know. Um, and whether it's kind of a political bias or geographic bias, you know, we all, we all kind of have that. I remember the first time that I went and saw the Pacific Ocean, you know, I did kind of like gasp because... Um, it's, it's the other side of the world from where I'm born. But of course, it's, it, it, it is a centre for people who were born there, you know. So, you know, aesthetically for me, this was, you know, let there, there be dragons. This was the edge of, of the world because I'm from Europe. But and, and it also raises an interesting point when we talk about maps and you talked about China and uh, your book not being able to be published there because... Google Maps now, dependent on where you um, access that map, has different borders for countries. You know, so if you're going to open Google Maps in China, the South China Sea will have, was it the nine dash line? Because uh, the, they claim that as theirs, where if you open it up in the Philippines, it doesn't exist. Uh, you know, and borders and boundaries can't kind of actually change. So it's actually kind of fascinating uh, that the world of mapping is so uh, geopolitically fraught and that comes all the way down to where your book can actually be published. You know, it's oh, uh, fascinating. Very much so. One of the most common things that I get called out on or get angry tweets uh, sent, sent to is always, is Crimea on a map shown as, as Ukrainian or as Russian? And, you know, what do you do with an annexed, thing with an annex locate locale mm -hmm. so it, it, and i'm of course not creating those maps but whoever 
needs to pick a data set. Usually you just pick uh, big data sets and then uh, you color them in uh, automatically with your with your JS uh, software. And what do you do? Uh, do, do you look at every every contested uh, neck of a uh, quarter of the globe, specifically if this is not about this corner? You know, if you just show, I don't know, just uh, do you drive on the left side or the right-hand side of the road kind of map, yeah? and then you color the countries accordingly. And are you then being called out for these kind of things? You know, I've got a solution for the Crimea thing. Just go back and have a map which is published in about 1750. Then it's part of the Ottoman realm. It's Turkish. <laughs> then, then no one can argue. No one can argue. <laughs> now, and on that point, what we should do is have a little bit of quiz action. Well, let's just um, let Nick ask his question oh, first. Sorry, uh, Nick. Now's your time, sir. No, I was just going to say something. Some of the maps you publish are really interesting, but I just wondered the data behind. So, do, do you check that or? Did you know? Do you know where the data comes from that produces those maps? So what I do, I do a quick check about the the maps, and if it's if the map is mostly meant to be funny, I'm not all that fast. I'm, I'm like there are lots of like simple little little jokes. If it's quirky, um, and some of the data are impossible to really check. You know, do you take your sh street shoes off or do you leave them on when you enter a house across the world? What's the most common thing? Of course, this is technically impossible to show, but I think it's just a cute way of, of sharing this. I'm not checking these kind of things. Um, when I'm sharing something like a map about global GDP, for example, I'm looking that the source is at least mentioned. I'm not going back for every map and, you know, uh, then pull the raw data and see whether that's the actual right GDP measure uh, that they selected. But so I try to make sure that it comes from a, um, that the source, data source is correct. But quite often the source that I link to would be uh, Reddit these days, because this is where lots of the amateur cartographers go and publish their stuff. They don't have websites, they don't have blogs or, or anything. They just put it on the uh, map enthusiast uh, uh, segments of, of Reddit and then people enjoy it or they get yelled at for using a, a bad color scheme, <laughs> either one. And that, that links to a question I wanted to ask, which was around, obviously you're, you're posting a lot of maps all the time and you must have kind of favorite sources yeah. and the book's an opportunity, I guess, to give them a bit of profile, I suppose. Is there, was there, were there kind of amateur or kind of regular kind of social media mappers that you wanted to particularly yep. give a bit of platform to? Part, part of how this actually worked is that I looked at who are my favorite um, cartographers. And then I realized oh, some of them actually only post infographics. I never really <laughs> uh, was, was aware of that. Um, but Neil RK uh, does wonderful mm -hmm. stuff uh, that, that I really appreciate. And so you just have, okay, I have a list of, of people that I that I follow and I you know, have specific uh, lists on Twitter where, where I have different types of people sorted and so I scan these lists for content uh, you know every yeah. second day or so when I prepare my, my my tweets and by now this is also quite a team effort people sent me um, people sent me the tips sometimes I know them sometimes I don't know them sometimes the really bizarre, weird stuff is just being sent to me. And the on the rare occasion where I don't uh, post a source, then it's uh, it's usually a meme kind of map that somebody sends me. And I can't, you know, I do a reverse Google image search and I can't find anything. But I share it because it's a cheap laugh. And 
I've been uh, I've been raised on the mantra that it's better to lose a good friend than to waste a bad joke. So that's uh, <laughs> I try to I try to uh, stay true to the family motto. <laughs> right. No, we we absolutely need to do the quiz. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Right now. These questions have been drawn together by the wondrous Claire, and uh, they all pertain to your book, sir. So, um, very oh. obviously, you are going to get all of these correct, Mr. Kirsten Macker. This is what I'm thinking. I'm like, I, I'll definitely lose this one. <laughs> You've got the book right there. Fuck. <laughs> Uh, see, this is this is uh, this is the uh, what we call this the honesty principle. <laughs> I like that. Right, question number one: literal meanings of country names, which European country name literally translates as "land of men." Literal meanings of country names, which European countries uh, name literally means "land of men." Is it A. Poland, B. Serbia, or C. Spain, España? Question number two. Oh, do, do, do we write this down? This is uh, this is. Me oh yes, yes. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Get get uh, paper and pen out. Sorry. All right now. Yeah. Question number two. Literal meanings of country names again. Which European country's name literally translates as Eastern Realm? Hmm. If you're a German speaker, you can probably work this one out. Right. It's uh, is it A Ukraine B. Greece or C, Austria, uh, which European country's name literally translates as Eastern Realm? Is it A, Ukraine, B, Greece or C, Austria? Question number three, venomous species. Which country has the most reported venomous species? Is it A, Mexico, B, Brazil, C, Australia? Which country has the most reported venomous species? Is it Mexico, where the Grand Prix is happening this weekend? Is it B, Brazil? Or is it C, Australia, the adopted home of one Simon Kirsten Macker? <laughs> Question number four, the Antipodes world map. Which of these pairs of countries has territory immediately opposite on the globe? This is hard, right, Claire? Um, because all of these sounded quite plausible. <laughs> well, I did have a globe to try and make it sound vaguely plausible. Because, like, no one was going to believe, you know, I don't know, Belgium and Spain. Yeah. Right. Is it A, Australia and China? B, is it Hawaii and Kenya? 
or is it C, Nicaragua and Sri Lanka? Uh, right, so folks, this is the Antipodean world map. Uh, which of these pairs of countries has territory immediately opposite on the globe? Argentina and China, Hawaii and Kenya, or is it C, Nicaragua and Sri Lanka? Question number five, language difficulty. Now, I'm somebody who infamously cannot learn any foreign languages. I've tried uh, French, terrible, German, forget about it, Italian, pff, pathetic, right? So I think all languages are difficult. But according to the US Government Foreign Service Institute, there are some languages which are harder to learn than others. Now, which is the hardest of these European languages for diplomats to learn? Is it A, Russian, B, Turkish, or C, Finnish? According to the US Government Foreign Service Institute, which is the hardest of these European languages for diplomats to learn? A, Russian, B, Turkish, C, Finnish. French kissing. Uh, when greeting people in France, which of the following locations would involve the most number of kisses? A, Lyon. This is a great map. <laughs> a, Lyon. Which is a beautiful city, actually. B, Montpellier, or C, Nantes. So which location in France you get the most kisses? Is it in Lyon, uh, B, Montpellier, or C, Nantes? Involvement in the Korean War. This is an excellent, excellent question. Which side did India support in the Korean War? Was it A, North Korea, B, South Korea, or C, both? Involvement in the Korean War. Question number seven. Which side did India support in the Korean War? Did India go for North Korea? Support in the communists. Was it B, South Korea, the capitalists and the Americans? Or C, did they hedge their bets and go for both? Last question. The last executions in Europe. When was the guillotine last used to chop someone's head off for being bad? Did it happen where? in France? Where? where? Sorry, where? yeah. Oh, where? Was it, did it happen in France? Did it happen in Switzerland? Or C, did it happen in Sweden? So when was the guillotine last used for an execution in Europe? Did it happen in France? Was it Switzerland or was it in Sweden? There you go, folks. There is your quiz questions. Now, Claire, we need to do some bits and bobs Right, so we build up tension. Sure. There's a slow drum roll happening where people go, oh my goodness, what are the answers to these fiendish questions? So Claire, do you think? Okay, so do a quick social media roundup because I'm doing two today, so I'm going to split it out. Um, uh, and on Twitter, and uh, again, content warning because uh, we're a family show, but this is not an especially family show friendly element. Um, had a great map posted to Twitter through Magic at Mungo's with retweeting Twitter at, Twitter electology, um, which is another one of these maps, which is around language and linguistics. Uh, and it's a, a map showing the prevalence of the use of the phrase fuck off to mean big, as in a fuck off big car. Uh, and um, so anyway, <laughs> what was interesting was this map not just didn't just show the, the use of that phrase, but um, the way that it was framed within the sentence 
So in a bit like when we have descriptive adjectives and there's an order for those, at what point in the in the ad descriptive adjectives did the phrase come? So I totally recommend that. See that on Twitter on the hashtag Matt Corner. Um, so that's that's quite fun. And um, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a few things there on the Twitter uh, hashtag Matt Corner. And on the Facebook page, the one I really wanted to mention was the big discussion that happened across the Facebook group uh, around national animals. Uh, where we sort of posted a map around the national animals. We had a big discussion about what the national animals should be, um, where they are animals which don't really appear in the nation to which has adopted them as their national animal. Um, and that was quite a lot of fun uh, to see the, the chat. Um, the other thing is uh, Ken McDonald, a uh, friend of the show, regular uh, attendee, um, posted uh, a map that was a crowdsource map where people had identified people had seen rats in Paris again an, an animal theme there um, so uh, that's about sort of naming and shaming where people have seen rats but I mean there's all these things about you know you're only so many meters from a map a rat in London isn't there so I'm sure that's true for other major cities as well um, but yeah if you don't want to know where all the rats are being seen in Paris there's a map for that because you know there's a map for everything um, so there's a couple of things from the Facebook Wait page. a minute, wasn't Ratatouille, the movie Ratatouille, wasn't that set in Paris? It was set in Paris. So, you know, like maybe there are rats in the kitchens as well. Hey, what are you going to do? There's a rat <laughs> in the kitchen. I knew you'd do that. Rats can get to quite a size. I was wandering down um, Valencia Street in San Francisco, minding my own business, and this rat, it was the size of a cat. I couldn't believe it. Broad daylight, just decided to go out and have a stroll. I, I was pretty pe petrified. Pretty yeah, they petrified. They can be pretty big, and those tails are long. Just saying. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, what else you got to give us, Claire? Or you do we go? Fact of the, of the oh, yes, please. I, I love this bit of the show. Uh, go on. <laughs> okay, so. Um... Obviously, while we're recording, COP26 is going on. So there's been quite a lot of map content recently around the impacts of um, climate change. And in fact, there is some good stuff in the in the book, of uh, Simon's book as well, uh, around that. Um, but one that spoke to me particularly was the there's a Climate Central have issued a map of coastal risks. So you can see where all the places in, well, I was looking in the UK, which are a, a metre or less uh, from sea level whatever we mean by sea level these days. Um, and uh, here we're in Bedford, where I live, uh, it's about as far from the seaside as you can get in the UK. It would take two, two and a half hours to get to a beach from Bedford, and that's about as far as you'll be anywhere in the UK from the edge of the of the country. Um, but I noticed that uh, with a metre's worth of sea level rise, uh, I'd be well less than an hour from the edge of the world because... Um, uh, most of Cambridgeshire and Lincolnshire would be underwater. And so that, that puts me much closer to a beach uh, in those circumstances, although I'm obviously not condoning the uh, inundation of large swathes of the eastern side of the UK. So, um, you know, puts me closer to the coast, but uh, would be a very bad thing for, uh, you know, quite, quite important areas of the country. And, of course, a very uh, interesting ecosystem around the fence which was originally yeah. reclaimed from the sea. Well, exactly. It's the reason why, reason why it's so flat. Also, you said, in, you know, important bits of the country. Is the Fens really that important? Lincolnshire, you know, Norfolk. Can't, can't we even do without them, really? Come on now. Not that important. Right, quiz question time. Right, now, 
Nick Rowworth, you're probably like flexing, flexing your brain. They go, oh, I've got this. I've got this. Though I've got, my money's on Brett uh, this <laughs> month. I think Brett's going to ace this, aren't you, Brett? Right. Uh, and, and of course, Sarah Spilsbury's always a dark horse when it comes to uh, the quiz. Right now, question number literal meanings of country names which european country's name literally translates of the land of men and mr kirsten macker the answer is I'm, I'm hoping poland i'm pretty sure it's not spain oh 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 dear oh, oh dear and uh, so it begins <laughs> it is according to your map Simon. it's serbia mm. I'm, I'm sure that's right <laughs> People of the fields is Poland. The land of many rabbits is Spain. I did know Spain. I did know Spain. All right. Um, question number two. Literal meanings of country names again. Which European country's name literally translates as Eastern Realm? Now, Mr. Kirsten Mack, if you get this one wrong. Uh, so I have Austria. <laughs> yeah, you're correct. Austria, you are. <laughs> yeah. Eastern Realm. Yeah. <sighs> Ostreich, yes. Uh, number three, venomous species. Which country has the most reported venomous species? I got this one wrong, Claire. Uh, Mr. Kirsten Macker? Uh, it's not Australia. Pretty sure it's Brazil. But everyone thinks it's Australia because, you know, it's famously where almost everything can kill you. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is, in fact, Mexico. Oh, we're on the antiquities world map which of these pairs of countries has territory immediately opposite on the globe fiendish this one claire fiendish well done argentina and china hawaii and kenya nicaragua and sri lanka and mr k so, I'm very sure that Chile and China uh, is a pair. So I figured Argentina and Chile, what's the difference? Uh, so I figured Argentina and China must be right. You are correct. Boom. <laughs> well done. Question number five, language difficulty. According to the US, uh, foreign, US Government Foreign Service Institute, which is the hardest of these European languages for diplomats to learn? Is it A, Russian? B, Turkish, C, Finnish. I think I know I th the answer to this. I think Finnish, but I got myself confused and now I'm doubting and I think it might be Russian because they have a, the additional alphabet challenge in there. So I'm, once again, I have no idea. Uh, I think it's Finnish, Finnish isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Finnish, so that yeah. first one was cut. I, right. What I like about this map actually is that they have a they have a colour coding. I can see this. Um, oh, what have I done? I've turned my camera off for some reason. <laughs> Uh, just at the prime moment. Uh, so they have this color coding, which, um, like, you know, it sort of has different sort of time spans. But uh, once you get above 44 weeks, it's a sort of no specific learning duration, but longer than 44 weeks, which is a sort of like <laughs> potentially, you know, a, a, a ongoing, never ending <laughs> language learning period of time. But the idea is that you can you can probably get Russian within 44 weeks, which is, I think, quite a challenge, to be fair. But I think if you really put an effort in. Um, but yeah, there. And I think also Hungarian, because Hungarian's got a very unusual language base. Mm -hmm. isn't it? So. Oh, well, and it's related to Finnish. So it yes. makes it be difficult. Yeah. And I've been trying to learn Italian for 25 years. So I, yeah, so. Mm. <laughs> French well, kissing. You should be able to do it in 24 weeks, according to this. If you really put your mind to it, Royfield. 
don't have the brain for foreign languages at all. Uh, when greeting people in France, which of the following locations would involve the most number of kisses? Lyon, Montpellier, Nantes. And the answer is, Mr. K? Uh, by, at this stage, I'm just guessing. Is it Lyon? Uh, it's not. Okay. Don't listen to me for anything. <laughs> Who collated the data for your book, sir? Because it obviously wasn't you, Mr. K. Come no, on. No, so, so, so no, none of the maps are my maps. So this is all just a selection of the, uh, you know, this is Bill Rankin's uh, map that has been on the internet for a long, long time. Um, it's just a quirky, bizarre way of somebody who collected this data and he shows it as a nice dotty uh, kind of uh, a style. So it's, it's rather wonderful as, as a visual, but if I, yeah. I don't remember things. <laughs> yeah, and I like the fact that this is a dot map actually because it just shows you that, um, like, even in the same location, it might be two, it might be three, it might be three, it might be four. Like, you know, like yeah. the, the the upshot you'll get from this map is wherever you go in France, you'll never be entirely sure how many kisses you're supposed to do because <laughs> exactly. it varies literally just, all over the place. Just so, keep on going. So, is it actually as many as four? As many yeah, as five. five. Oh, oh, wow crumbs right moving on involvement in the korean war uh which side did india support in the korean war uh was it north korea south korea or was it both did they hedge their bets mr k no idea i just i really want to say both i think it's such a good answer to have it's a fantastic I... answer <laughs> here we go uh it is both um <laughs> yes. and uh they sent medical aid to south korea and other aid to north korea so, um, yeah, there was uh, most most other people picked a side, but um, India was the one that effectively did both. Yeah, just wanted both teams to have fun kind of approach. <laughs> <laughs> Where? Where was Sorry. the guillotine last used for an execution in Europe? A, France, B, Switzerland, C, Sweden. And the answer is Mr. Okay. K. I want to say definitely not France. So I just picked Switzerland because what do I know? I, for, I forgot about it. Okay, so this is going to surprise people. <laughs> um, they've all used to get a team for executions. Um, and the last one in Sweden was 1910. And the last one in Switzerland was 1940. And the last one in France was 1977. Wowza. Wowza. Uh, oh, that's really quite recent. <laughs> Yeah, it is extremely recent. And it's kind of interesting when the guillotine was brought in, it was seen as a humane way of killing people, you know, because it's quick and efficient and fast as opposed to hanging people where lots of hangings went wrong, didn't they? People, they're like still still alive for about 10 minutes, like kicking and, and screaming, whereas this was seen as a humane way of getting rid of people. I learned hey. that recently at a podcast uh, of, of Mike Duncan's where he plugged your uh, interview with him as well. So I recently th thought about you when I heard the term guillotine anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to take that, but that's thank a, you. It's an interesting compliment. <laughs> right, folks. So you had um, some total of eight answers to give. Anybody get all eight? Uh, feel free to unmute. Uh, shaking your head there, Brett. Right. Seven Okay, right. Now, bated breath, did anybody get six 
correct. Wow, Claire, these were fiendish. Wow, well, yeah. It's a lot easier with a book in front of you. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> How about five? Sarah Spilsbury. Wow. Go Sandwell, go Smethwick. How are you doing? How are you doing? Uh, which ones did you get wrong, Sarah? Um, I think number three, that was the one about the um, deadly creatures, wasn't it? Um, yeah. What was what was six? Uh, difficult to languages. No, yes, uh, no, one. French kissing. Yeah, that one I got wrong. And the final one about the guillotine. Gotcha. Well, I, I must admit, I would have got... Though I actually knew that the guillotine was still used in France until the 70s, I would have said Switzerland. I just thought it's, it's so obviously cannot be France. It's one of those trick ones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was still used. And that's, it's, as you say, it's so recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this raises the question, has it been one of the original guillotines or did they... When was the last guillotine produced? Who built the last guillotine of France? Yeah, what's the uh, what's the working life of a guillotine? I don't know. Wow, I, I, I tell you, right? Um, there was an experiment done in about the nineteen tens, early nineteen hundreds, uh, to see when somebody was guillotined, how long were they still actually conscious? And it was over a minute, and they did it by um the doctor uh kept on calling the name of the person who's guillotined and up to a minute after his head was severed from his body um he, he opened his eyes obviously he couldn't speak but he oh, he reacted it's utterly fascinating guillotine. oh that's creepy yeah 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 you wouldn't um, get this experiment through ethics these days no 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 well <laughs> what's the control group how many people do you need <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but yes, uh, it, over a minute. Can you imagine? Well, these days they'd put like some sort of electrode things on your head to monitor your brain activity. Surely, right? Oh, yes. As, as as experiments go, this is pretty crude, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everything about it was pretty crude. But it was over a minute, and he called out, and his eyes would close, and they called out the guy's name, and his eyes opened again. Anyway, anyway, mm -hmm. uh, right, Claire. Oof, what, what what a what a morbid way to that's end. A, that's a chilling way to close yeah. the fact. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Sarah, I think you know the drill. I do. Yeah. yeah. So um, I don't know if you're going to do uh, Smethic again or you're going to, you know, uh, cast your, your net uh, wider afield, but you've got a month to think about it. Right. That's the good news. Yeah. Right. Can we have the coffin works in the jewelry quarter? Possibly. Oh, yeah. That'd be good. Right. Uh, so, Claire, is it time for us to fold up our maps? It is time for us to fold up our maps. So, um, yeah, definitely. I want to thank uh, Simon for joining us again, our uh, our most popular and returning guest. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you with us on Map Corner. And um, do you want to give a quick plug for your book? Well, um, the latest update that I heard about my book is that it's still stuck in one of those container ships uh, on the ocean. Once again, I'm part of breaking news stories here. Um, so if this book ever makes it to your local bookshops, please buy it and give it to all of your friends. <laughs> and then ask them Claire's questions. Just take those questions. I, uh, as the author of the book, got four out of eight. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't think they were on the easy side today, Claire. Fair enough. 
There you go, folks. Another amazing uh, episode of Matt Corner. Uh, and uh, as is apropos for the subject matter, our uh, our guest was in Australia. Uh, but And uh, we've had people from um, all over the globe uh, contribute to this podcast today. So uh, that's me folding up my map. See you see you all again um, in approximately 30 days for another rip, sort, rip roaring barnstorming episode of Map Corner where uh, we do we do justice to this most visual of mediums by talking about it on a podcast. Toodle pip, tarara bit. Are you going to say goodbye, Claire? Goodbye, I'm folding up my map. <laughs>